over the phone, Dick! <laughs> First time in a long time, I sat down and watched a movie. Oh, what movie? Uh, I don't know why I did this, uh, but I decided to sit down and watch Hubie Halloween. <laughs> what? <laughs> why? <laughs> well, the cast you have was children, great. I guess it makes sense. But... Nope, there were no children involved <laughs> in watching that. I tried to give you an out. Fuck you. Nope, there were no children involved. Um, here's what I'll say. Uh, I went in with. Just the expectation of like any current Adam Sandler movie, which is none. Mm-hmm. Well, it was pleasant. Gems, but... Well, well, right, right, right. But I was actually like, there were moments where I was like, "That's good. I'm okay with that." Like, so I'm glad I watched it for like a couple moments. A couple moments? Oh wait, no the the couple of moments in the movie. I thought you meant you just watched it for a couple of moments. No, I watched the whole movie. Okay. Um, but there were a couple moments. It opens in a psychiatric ward. Mm. Which is great, uh, and guess who the attendant is of the of the patient that's the concern? Rob Schneider. Nope, even better, Ben Stiller. <laughs> but Ben Stiller's character from Billy Madison. That's great. <laughs> so that's how it opens. Uh, and you know, Rob Schneider's in it. Uh, Steve Buscemi's in it. Okay. Uh, like they do. Uh, Steve Buscemi's character is great because he's an old man, and there's like this really great twist. Like he introduces himself, and he's like, "And if you hear any scary things coming out of this house, don't bother coming over. Um, just ignore it altogether." And he's like, "Uh, okay." So the worst part of it is Adam Sandler. It's just everybody else in the movie is actually pretty good. Like, um, Rob Schneider's in it. Uh, uh, uh Maya Rudolph is in it. Tim Meadows is in it. Hmm. Yeah, Maya Rudolph and Tim Meadows are great. Yeah, they're they're fantastic in it. Um, uh, Ray Liotta's in it. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like Karen, is- Karen. <laughs> the be- like the what's funny is like there's no character development for any of these characters at all. They are all very flat characters. Like Ray Liotta is just a dick. As a matter of fact, everybody in the town is just a dick to Adam <laughs> Sandler the entire movie. Like. It's just really unsettling how awful it is. They, but they also like they do a bunch of callbacks to old movies, like um, the bullies in the town or the old Doyles. <laughs> so, is this like a shared Adam Sandler universe? Is this tying it all together? Apparently, I mean, it's <laughs> it's bizarre, like how many, like how it all really is linked in. Like, there are so many callbacks. I was waiting for Nick Swartzen to show up, and he didn't. So, oh, um, that's a bummer. Yeah, but everybody else did, so it was kind of weird. So, I, I mean. Like I said, I wasn't expecting anything. I got a good, I got a couple good laughs at it. Um, especially like Steve Buscemi's character made me laugh the hardest for sure. I don't know why you never did Little Nicky too. I mean, I would have loved to see that. I, I mean, I've seen Little Nicky. It's just been a long time since I've seen it. Like I, all, the only thing, the only thing I could think of when I think of Little Nicky is the Pod song that was on the soundtrack. Because <laughs> you were super into it when it came out, dude. I was so I probably was like I have it. I have a Pod CD. This I I know because you can't get rid of anything as you have, you have a, a sickness in your brain. Um, well, I you know he never has sequeled any of his movies. Now that I think about it, no Happy Gilmore two, no Billy Madison two. I mean, I guess they're all kind of the same movie, but still. 
Well, he did Grown Ups. Grown Ups has a sequel. Well, yeah, but see, that, that's not that's not the classic Sandler era. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I never actually seen the Grown Ups movies because every time I see Kevin James, I just wish Chris Farley was not dead. Yeah, and that's fair. <laughs> uh, I mean, Kevin James is also in this movie, but he's just like a a dick cop with a mullet. You know, yeah. some of them are. Um, yeah. I've been watching movies too, but I've been sort of on my I've been I've been rewatching a lot of horror movies, not classics or anything, but um, like I rewatched The Predator, which is so fun and awesome. Is that I the one re- with Adrian Brody? Uh, no, that's Predators. This is the one where it's an ensemble cast and Keegan Michael Key is one of the soldiers. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I wa- I rewatched um oh The Exorcist three, which is awesome. It should have been the actual sequel. And what was the other one I watched yesterday? Oh, Skull Island. Uh, that was pretty fun. Oh yeah, no, that movie's fun. That movie's great. Yeah, Kong's like super huge. And then I did for the first time watch Scream Four because obviously I didn't really give it the time of day when it came out, but it's okay. Yeah, I heard that one wasn't bad though. Like I heard it was definitely better than like two and three. Oh no, no, no. well, it's better than three. It's not better than two. One and two are great, and they go well together. I think uh, three was pretty bad, and four was bad but entertaining because I was bored. Uh, they're doing a five. So Ooh. I didn't know that. Well, from what I understand, though, I guess Clive Barker got like all the rights to all his stuff back, right? So he's doing like yeah. a bunch of really cool, like he's like doing a Hellraiser show and stuff. Yeah, he's doing the Books of Blood, which I've actually a long time ago I read the Books of Blood, and like Clive Barker, you know, stuff. It's you know, it's a lot of blood, but it's 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 pretty cool. It's a, it's a pretty cool short story anthology. I read I reread the Hellbound Heart a couple years ago, which is a story Hellraiser is based off of, and I'm not sure if it's part of the Books of Blood or not, but it's pretty good. And uh, yeah, fucking Hellraiser's great until they took it to space. Even that, yeah. So space Hellraiser's not bad, but it was like a direct to video, so it wasn't very good. Yeah, I mean, I, Hellraiser terrifies me. Like, I feel like that. I feel like that's that concept makes me more uncomfortable than literally any other horror movie that's out there. Like, I feel like demon stuff makes me, and like hell stuff makes me like like. I feel like that's how I feel about uh, Event Horizon. Like, Event Horizon is not a great movie, but it is horrifying in its concept. It shakes you to your scientific foundations. <laughs> it really does. It makes me it makes me question everything and I don't like that. So I'm gonna keep watching Hubie Halloween. <laughs> well, hi everybody. Welcome to I Don't Wanna Hear It. I'm Mikey. And I'm Shane. And it's finally here. The Halloween Whoa! episode <laughs> that nobody's been waiting for. <laughs> We're doing a deep dive into those Jersey boneheads, the misfits. More like the misfits. <laughs> Got him. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure there was a band called the Misfats that was like a bunch of fat guys that did Misfits covers about food. I could be wrong. I got to look it up for next week. I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> um, I you know it's funny is uh like I remember when was it Fat Wreck was putting out um like samplers. Uh, and they put one out called Squawk Among Us, and it had a big fat guy um, on the front of it with a devil lock, and it was great. What is a devil lock, you may be asking? Uh, we'll tell you soon. Uh, you're going to hate it. So uh, do you want to go, 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 go? <laughs> go! Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's not waste any more time with our eight-minute intro. Why don't we get right into it? Yeah, let's talk about the misfits. What's the matter, kid? Don't you like clowns? Why? Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we fucking funny? Hey, 
few things out of the way. In the realm of punk rock, I think most people can agree, and I would include us in this, um, the Misfits are, are classic. Not as classic as classic can get. I, I don't know if they totally invented the horror punk subgenre, but at the very least, I would say they probably did it the best. I mean, you had TSOL and uh, I don't know who else. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, the Undead, but they came after the Misfits. So the Misfits are one of the first, and they did it pretty well. W- would you yeah. agree with that that statement? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what makes them stand apart is that not necessarily they were writing anything um, groundbreaking by any means. Uh, you know, like when you listen to like old Misfits, like you can definitely hear influences from like the the like the '77 punk bands that were around at the time. Like you hear like Ramones influences and like the Dead Boys and all that stuff. Like you hear some of that in there, but. <clears throat> What I what I think they mastered was marketing, and I think that's why their band yeah. did really well. Is because they they were able to like a lot of bands at the time were able to find an image, they were able to push that image, they were able to live that image, and like you know they're not doing anything different than any other band was really doing at the time. They just kind of glommed on to something that worked really well. Like think about this for a second. Like everyone in the band has a nickname, right? It, yeah, like, this is true. Every member, past or present, has a nickname. But that's not uncommon for punk rock. When you go look at the Ramones, none of them had the last name Ramon. <laughs> they were not. They weren't even related. <laughs> so, but you Lies. saw this happen all the time. Iggy Pop, you know his name is not Pop. His last name is not Pop. Um, so his you know when you start, is not onomatopoeia. No, no, it's not. It's nothing. It's a uh, Ig, Iggy Iggy's. Oh God, what? It, I don't know. Anyway, it's something stupid. It's a this dumb is... name. It's like like James Lesterman or something like that. Well, is Iggy short for Ignatius is the real question. Uh, Iggy is named after his uh, fucking, I don't know, like lizard or snake or something. Like he's named after something that's not a human. <laughs> In my family, uh, on the Guido side, uh, we, we had an Uncle Iggy. And Uncle Iggy, <laughs> he quit school because it was too hot. <laughs> so he could, go, he could go fucking huck ice at the pier or something. <laughs> Whatever that's they awesome. did. That's <laughs> that's the best. Yeah, I mean, but like when you when you look at like punk bands around that era, like there were so many nicknames for so many people. I mean, even Henry Rollins, it's not his real name. Oh, it's not? No, it's it's Hank Garfield. Oh god. So <laughs> Garfield band, that's that doesn't that doesn't work at all. Yeah, you mean like yeah, H- Hank Garfield sings for Black Flag. So you know, like they they didn't do anything different when it came to that. They just worked really fucking hard, and they found a niche that worked. And here they are. I mean, we're still talking about them today, and it's been fifty years, forty Ooh, years. God, I don't know, seventy seventy seven. So seventy seven. So forty forty three years. God, can you? That's insane to think about. I mean, by the time that we both first heard the Misfits, they were well past their original inception and into the second one. But what? So, when was the first time you heard the Misfits? What, what did you think when you heard? It? So, okay, so my my first experience with the Misfits was not their music. What was it? The first time I ever heard of the Misfits or saw the Misfits was that they joined a wrestler named Vampiro on <laughs> WWC. Yeah, that is true. Or WCW. Yes. Like they they were they were in wrestling for a little bit. Like Macho Man almost beat up Doyle for falling in love with his his like stage manager. <laughs> so like that was my first experience with the Misfits. Like not Imagine anything giving Doyle <laughs> those stage directions. Right? Uh, okay. 
we'll well, get into Doyle imagine? later. He's a goon. Yeah, they all are. Um, like the the like the fact that that's my first experience with them. That like I really truly remember my first experience. Like that was weird. Also, um, the first time I heard them, I thought they were boring because uh, I was I was I had to have been like maybe fifteen when I heard them first, and I was starting to play bass guitar, and I that was actually Skulls was the first song I ever played ever in a band ever. Oh wow! So um. So that was my first, the first time I ever heard the Misfits was the song Skulls. Um, my friend Austin, our friend Austin, was obsessed with them. Like we listened to American Psycho all the time. Um, I remember like pirating di- the video for Dig Up Her Bones off of AOL. <laughs> like that was the first video I saw by them. Like it was like, oh, that's this, it's these guys, and um, didn't like them. And you didn't even like be- Graves Misfits. It had more pop sensibility. I liked some songs. I mean, like, I think that was it. Like, I think I liked Dig Up Our Bones, and I liked, like, some of the other songs that we'll talk about. Like, you know, it took a long time for me to grow, for them to grow on me. But at the time, I, like I said, like, they were, like, I didn't really like old punk bands. Like, I hated the way it sounded. It didn't sound like it was recorded well, and I couldn't really stand it. But also, uh, to be fair, at the same time, I still remembered all the lyrics to Limp Biscuits $3 bill, y'all. So it wasn't really in a place to, to, to do that. You had no room for something like that. No, I had I had to purge Korn's discography before I could get into the Misfits. Um, well, I mean, if you do listen to the old stuff, and and I I, I listen to the Misfits a lot. I do love the Misfits, all eras of the Misfits. Well, not not the current one, but <laughs> if you're listening to it, you are hearing super primitive punk rock. I mean, when you just hear the way that they, it's all downstrokes on the guitar. And, and I feel like the Ramones, of course, the Ramones were known for that. But the Misfits, it's it's almost like it's even sloppier. It's just like, like it's yeah. just, if you listen to it without understanding the scope and what the, and the image of the band and the lyrics and without appreciating dancing's vocals, it is kind of shitty. But. Yeah. Um, my, I think my first experience with the Misfits, okay, I actually have talked about it on here before. In middle school, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade, so this had to be 96. So I was just, you know, I got into Green Day a couple years, a couple years before that. Rancid, no effects, all that type of stuff. So I was seeing the Misfits skull everywhere. And, and I'm, you know, I finally, I never really got to check the band out because, you know, you go to the record store and you buy stuff with your allowance and, and I just never picked it up. So I had an older friend, or no, I had a friend with an older brother, and he made me a mixtape. And yeah. for someone of our generation, it was kind of like, that's how you heard about a lot of bands. So he made me a dubbed cassette tape. He used to DJ our dances. So he'd oh, play nice. like Yeah, he'd play like the, the Quad City DJs and shit. But then he'd, every now and again, he'd throw in the Boss Tones or 311. But he was like actually into punk rock. So he dubbed me a tape, and on the tape, there were a couple of old Danzig songs, but there were a couple of Misfits with Graves songs. So the first Misfits song I ever heard was American Psycho. Oh, okay. We'll talk about the difference between Graves Misfits and Danzig Misfits uh, on the next episode. But (laughs) Which is (laughs) fair, because that's a lot to get into. Yeah, suffice to say, Graves was the more modern one. That was when the Misfits got back together in the 90s, and they were poppier but american psycho i still think is a great album i love it i love both albums with graves on vocals yeah 
Um, and the other thing was, I also got a bit obsessed with the Misfits, much like Austin, for quite a while. I was into horror punk for a little bit. Like, I never painted my face. But, you know, with AFI, the Nerve Agents, the Misfits, I, I had a Misfit skull, the Crimson Ghost. I had that chalked onto my grip tape of my skateboard. I had the Coffin Collection. I saved up for it. Um, I had a couple Misfits t-shirts. I had Misfits buttons. I still have a Misfits button. On my backpack that I take to work with me that has my laptop in it. Nice, nice. And I even, when Hot Topic first uh, first came around, um, they had like a clearance sale, probably the first year they were open, and I got the two Misfits action figures. <laughs> it was Jerry Only and Doyle, and I don't know, they were probably like, they were, they were, they were a little under a foot tall, they were really detailed. And I ended up selling them to the singer of your first band, who was also obsessed with the Misfits for like 50 bucks after yeah. I got sick of them. Yeah. So, and that's actually probably, I would make, I would make the argument that that's why I hate the Misfits <laughs> is because of that guy. Yeah. Like he you was mentioned Calvin before he was a, a bit of a human. What, what, what could you call him? Um, like a human porta potty, I guess. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the first thing I think of. Like he was like fucking the worst. And, um, he's a weird guy. He's he was just a weird dude and like like I think about it now I, I talked about this before where it's like a 19 year old in a band with a bunch of 15 year olds like that's not strange like doesn't like doesn't strike you as weird like 19 and 15 I mean I mean uh, I, it's not a position I'd want to be in I just don't think it's that strange so let me throw something at you though okay. I never met any of his 19 year old friends okay that is strange you're right I never I don't <laughs> think that he had any 19 year old friends. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're older, it's easier to impress younger kids, so some people just kind of fall into that. Also, he read the lyrics to Minor Threat covers while we played. <laughs> he read them off a sheet because he couldn't remember them. So you well, know, He wasn't just... straight edge, was he? Mm, nope, he was definitely not straight edge. <laughs> uh, he also had his lip pierced three times. Maybe he did that to make a point, like, I don't even fucking care what this is about. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that he really thought about that because he remembered all the because I think that he remembered all the lyrics to the song about fucking a dead dog. So I think that he I don't think that he really thought that far ahead. You know, uh, on the topic of forgetting lyrics as you're singing um, years from now, our old band, we used to do a cover of the Descendants Bikeage. And I knew the lyrics. I'm not a super huge Descendants fan, but I like the Descendants. And I knew the lyrics and we, we would cover the song. We recorded a cover of it for a uh, Descendants uh, tribute comp. I believe, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. Yeah. And then, so we played a show with this awful crust band, Witch Hunt, and they suck, and everyone in the band is a garbage shit. And <laughs> when we were playing, I don't remember what it was. I'm thinking it may have been the strong amount of body odor in the plumber's union because of those fucking stinky fucks. And I blanked on the lyrics to Bikeage. And, you know, it's one of those moments. It's a little embarrassing. But one of those... One of those fucking goons actually went up to Billy, who was doing the show, and was like, I bet he didn't even like really know the lyrics to this band. That still, still fucking burns me up to this day. Yeah, what I wonder what I wonder what he's not doing now. He's not living with a roof over his head, that's for sure. That's what I'm saying. He's definitely Train not using a bar of soap. With a dog, rolling in some dirt. Maybe he's got some of his crass records with him. I hope they get stolen by hobos. Yeah, he's probably hand-painting some back patches. <laughs> Fuck you! But I digress. So, yes, the Misfits, storied, 
we, you know, they're they're a band that just like Black Flag. When you when you're getting into punk rock, you you can't help but at least check them out. Now, classic though they may be, um, they've been through many different iterations. Um, as as I was reading up on them reading interviews and articles and, and looking over their discography and just kind of seeing what they had to say. Um, it seems like they would really suck to talk to. <laughs> our, our thesis, often when we do a deep dive or we do a topical episode, we have a thesis that goes with it. Our thesis is, yes, the Misfits are a great band, but every person involved with the Misfits is either a fucking moron or a complete and utter shitbag. They are definitely people we don't want to hang out with at all. Like it like when you see the video of Danzig getting punched, like you're okay with it yes. because he had it coming for decades. Oh dude, the the Northside Kings beef. There it actually goes a little deeper because that guy experienced so much backlash after, but we'll get into that. We'll definitely talk about that next episode. But as <laughs> yeah, far yeah. As far as the people in the band who really suck, Danzig, the original vocalist, lyricist, sort of the image guy, and Jerry Only, the uh, bassist, probably the only... Well, he's not an original member, but he joined early on, as you'll soon see. Um, very very long-standing member. Uh, those dudes suck, especially. Now, the Misfits' yeah. career has been marred by lawsuits, breakups, reunions, half-reunions, various incarnations, multiple members being fired and hired, all-around sense of self-importance and diva shit talking there's so much drama oh yeah related to this band and actually what's really great and what's really fun about this band is that nobody can put together a complete story because nobody knows what the fuck is true because all of them are fucking crazy yeah and i mean like it's it's definitely akin to so jerry only and glenn danzig it's definitely akin to john joseph and harley when it comes to the chromags uh nobody has has gotten stabbed yet but you know, you it's on the at, way. You look at these bands and their legacy, and 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 you'd think they'd be able to put it aside for the fans, you know, uh, and, and this tough image that they portray. And yet they're always shit talking online. I'm, I mean, I guess not John Joseph because he's just listening to reggae and making like vegan enchiladas. But you know, <laughs> P- Paris, the the guitarist of the the Crow Mag, a lot of shit talking going on there. And you, you just wonder why these guys can't put it aside uh, for for the fans, especially when they act so tough all the time. But right. I don't know. Um, so the Misfits, it's of course. I mean, they're just big babies. Yeah, giant, giant, spooky babies. Uh, the Misfits are. <laughs> so um, they are the Misfits, of course, characterized by their lyrics and image, which is horror punk. It's the lyrics are rooted in B movie sci fi and horror. They have pretty great pop sensibilities. A lot of goes, go go go, woes. A lot of woes. The Misfits are so known for their woes. And, and it's great. It's great. And, of course, also their temperamental original frontman, Glenn Danzig, who went on to great solo acclaim. He had this very deep, bluesy vocal style that earned him the nickname Evil Elvis. <laughs> now, in 2013, a book entitled This Book Leaves Stains, The Complete Story of the Misfits, was released by Scarecrow Press, naturally. Of course. And uh, it purports to be the definitive account of the band. It's unauthorized. And uh, the author's name is James Green Jr. His picture on Amazon is upside down, so that doesn't <laughs> it doesn't bode well. Full disclosure: we did not read the book. Yeah, that's fair. However, 
we pieced this uh, the next uh, this episode and the next one together from interviews. I found a great archive of Misfits interviews that are very funny. Um, different articles, uh, the Discogs page, and yes, a little Wikipedia for structure. You want you want to make sure you're getting the all the beats right, um, and that's just basically how we do all of them. And uh, I can honestly say that I do love the Misfits. I felt like I did know a lot about them, and I learned a few things, so you might too. So. Without further ado, let's get into the horror business at hand, and we start at the band's inception in 1977. Yeah, we put it out of our misery, because let's face it, Sydney, your mother was no Sharon Stone. Hmm? So we begin at part one. From 1977 to 1983, the band's original incarnation, and I called this portion of the episode Baby Skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Misfits were founded in Lodi, New Jersey, if uh, if Credence is right, that's how you say it, uh, in the year 1977 by the one, the only, the king of Halloween himself, constant scowling, pinched wolf face, Glenn Danzig. All of five feet tall. <laughs> He's so tiny. He's so small. I mean, I'm sure he could destroy me, but he is tiny. I don't um, know. And a guy, he was also founded by a guy who did not stick around for very long, and his name is Manny Martinez. Now, oh. originally, not only did Glenn sing for the band, as he did throughout the uh, original uh, incarnation, but he played keyboards. There was no guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so. Manny That's, played drums and Glenn played keyboards and sang. So I could see this happening in uh, you know at that time because I think suicide was around at that time, and so yeah. suicide was literally just like a drum machine and somebody's swinging chains at people. So, um, <laughs> you know, I imagine that he was probably like, "I could do that. I could probably fucking do that." Remember, these guys are <laughs> from New Jersey. They've got sauce all over their mouths. So. <laughs> The band, uh, The Misfits, they were named after Marilyn Monroe's final film of the same name that was released in 1961. I've never seen it, uh, but apparently the plot centers around Marilyn Monroe playing a recently divorced woman who hangs out with her landlady a lot, and then Clark Gable plays a cowboy whose first name is Gay. It's just... <laughs> Not there's anything wrong with that. No, 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 no. It's fine. I guess here's what I'm going to I Here's something that I think everybody needs to be aware of as we go into this. The band's origins are not so spooky. And <laughs> like the Misfits, that's not a spooky movie. Um, right. The like like Glenn Danzig's hero is Elvis. So Elvis was not spooky. I mean, legitimately, he wanted to be the next Elvis. So it's not like like they're not coming from a place where it's like like they really loved spooky scary halloween stuff they just kind of fell into it yeah it's very strange yeah so of course the band could not remain a two-piece and survive so enter jerry kayafa which i don't know how to say it i'm gonna say kayafa because that sounds a little bit more like my people yeah yeah so <laughs> legend has it <laughs> that jerry was visiting one of manny martinez's neighbors and he had just been given he had just been given a bass guitar as a Christmas gift. It was sitting in the back seat of his car, and that was enough for Manny to recruit him for the band, even though Jerry did not know how to play it, <laughs> which is a very Jersey way I feel like to join a band. Yeah, yo, you got a guitar in your fucking car? Yeah, I got a guitar in my fucking car. Go fuck yourself. Hey, you want to be in a band with me? I'll be in a band with you. 
<laughs> and then they rolled around in cold cuts for a bit, and then Jerry joined the Misfits on bass. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you hear a lot of stories of people doing that. Like, isn't that what happened with, like, Henry Rollins, where they're like, you want to sing in a band? And you know, they, they, he was like, yeah, Hagenjot sucks. And then he moved out to L.A. from Washington, D.C. So, like, you know, I think people did that, like, all the time. I, I want to say even, like, in Bad Religion, Jay Bentley bought a toy bass guitar that was too small just to play bass in a band. So, uh, just it's just one of those things. I guess that's the times. Like, I didn't do that i got a bass guitar and learned how to play lincoln park songs i feel like there was just more more freedom more more seat of your pantsness especially in punk rock back then it was just kind of like whatever yeah it's fine it's fine and and most of the time they all like didn't know how to play and then they're in better bands than we were so now a guitarless misfits wasted no time in making their first recording the same year of their inception so melody was provided by danzig's keyboard and this proto version of the band can be heard on the 1977 single cough slash cool which sucks the b-side it's so bad uh the b-side misfits classic she wound up being re-recorded later with guitar in subsequent years uh and so did cough slash cool which improved the song vastly now uh, it was reported that she is about Patty Hearst, the newspaper magnate's daughter who was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army in 1974. And there were a bunch of filthy hippies, They and they robbed banks and committed a few murders. And Hearst eventually gave in to Stockholm Syndrome and became part of the group, finally getting herself arrested, but only serving seven of her 35-year sentence. Uh, kind of a wild story. Also, um, Smoker Fire has a really great song called Patty Hearst Syndrome. So... Uh, go listen to Smoke or Fire. It's weird, though, how like a lot of the early Misfits stuff, not spooky. She's no. about Patty Hearst. You know, it's like, she is not about like a, a she devil. It's about Patty Hearst. That makes right. a lot of sense. I mean, and you'll hear they have a song about uh, JFK, too. But yeah. we'll, oh, we'll that's, a, that. that's a whole that's a whole thing. <laughs> So, uh, Misfits released Cough Cool, uh, the single on their very own Blank Records, which eventually became Plan 9, and the label they released most of their early material on. Uh, and we also get the origin of Jerry uh, Kaiafa's stage name, Jerry Only, because of this release. His last name was spelled wrong on the Cough Cool insert, and he asked to be credited as Jerry. Only Jerry, from then on. And Hilarious. Uh, that's that's my favorite thing ever is like you're so mad about a misprint that you change your entire name. Yeah. So that's my name. That's my family. It's but whatever. Just just Jerry. Just only Jerry. <laughs> no thanks. So as far as Danzig's surname goes, his birth name is Glenn Allen Anzalone. Or Anzalone. I, I think I think in New Jersey it's Anzalone. Anzalone. So, in an an interview uh, he did with a fairly shitty online publication known as Stalker back in the mid-2000s, he had this to say about his choice of the name Danzig. So, Stalker says, for what reason did you choose the artist name Danzig? And Danzig says, huh? (laughs) Yeah, what a dick. (laughs) What a dick. Stalker says, at the time, you picked an artist name. Why did you choose Danzig? And Danzig says... It's a personal reason it has to do with my family. Usually my family is off limits. I don't give a fuck about who you are. Keep my family out of it. If you, if you understand that and respect that, great. If not, I can give two fucks. So how is that? That is not a, 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 a proportionate response to that question. <laughs> no. So, you know, this guy's got some stuff to work through. So 
this is one of the infinite reasons why Glenn Danzig, talented legend though he may be, is a fucking jerk-off. So, Glenn, no one cares about your family or your weird little wolf face, so stop it. Dude, he's, he is such an unnecessary, uh, just curmudgeon uh, at all times. He's always on the attack. Like, there's <clears throat> no reason. Like, what are, you, what are you so mad about? He's got Napoleon syndrome, man. He, he, I mean, legitimately, I, I imagine that he does because he's like all of, how tall is he? Did you look up the record? Like five foot one? <laughs> I think I might two? be taller than him. No, I know you're taller than him. I'm just <laughs> saying like in general, I'm pretty sure my, my 14 year old is taller than him. <laughs> Wait, let's Google it. Glenn Danzig height. Maybe Google will just laugh at me. Yeah. Oh, I mean, how t- I, <laughs> Five three. <laughs> He's five three. Okay, so like, yeah. So my my daughter is definitely taller than him. Um, I wonder how tall that is in demon inches. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to uh, consult the grimoire for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, even though the band wasn't even a year old, they'd already recorded their first single, released it on their own label, and begun playing out. Even managing to play at CBGBs a couple times. Pretty impressive. Yeah. So later that year, in 1977, the band began phasing out their awful keyboards so Glenn could focus mainly on vocals and lyrics and searching every conversation for an insult. <laughs> um, they recruited a guy named Frank Licata, <laughs> who went by the nickname, I think it's, pre- I don't know how you pronounce it, it's Franchicoma, I'm just going to say Frenchicoma, to play Frenchy guitar. <laughs> so he d- he's not around for very long, so don't worry about it, don't get used to him. So the next thing the band did... After they got Frenchie Coma, they uh, kicked Manny Martinez out because, reportedly, <laughs> he asked Glenn Danzig a question he didn't like. Um, <laughs> wonder if he asked him about his family. <laughs> it's my family! Fuck you! Uh, Danzig recruited one Jim Catania. Catania. I'm, I'm butchering the names of my people here. It's either Catania <laughs> or Catania, uh, a.k.a. Mr. Jim. And it, that name, I'd say, sounds extremely diddly. Like, yeah. stay away from Mr. Jim mm-hmm. uh, to replace Manny. So Danzig had actually previously played with uh, Mr. Jim in a group called Kudot and Boojang. That's one band. <laughs> and I can only imagine they the band sounded like coconuts rolling down a flight of stairs. It so. just sounds like a really bad PlayStation game. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a uh, fucking Crash Bandicoot knockoff or Banjo-Kazooie knockoff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's the one that you get at, at Big Lots. <laughs> this doesn't play. Uh, Why? So oddly, this is supposed to be a disc. Why is this a square? <laughs> so now you've got the lineup of Danzig, you've got Jerry Only, you've got Mr. Jim, and you've got Frenchie Coma. So uh-huh. oddly enough, Mercury Records contacted the Misfits and offered to exchange 30 hours of studio time for the rights to the name Blank Records. Huh. Which seems kind of ridiculous, because I'm sure Danzig and the rest of his Jersey Guido crew, they had no money for lawyers. Uh, These are public defender people. So if Mercury had just taken the name, I'm sure they couldn't have done anything about it, but the band did accept. uh, And then they they sort of pivoted, changed the name of their label to Plan 9, and that is, of course, named after infamously terrible directors, uh, director Ed Wood's uh, famous disaster of a movie, Plan 9 from Outer Space, which, if you're ever interested right. in it, I wouldn't even recommend watching Plan 9. Watch Ed Wood, because you get to see Plan 9 in Ed Wood. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, now, the band had 
30 hours of free studio time. So they entered the studio in January of 1978, and they used those 30 hours to record what was to be their first full-length album. Now, 14 of the 17 tracks that they put down were planned to be released as the record static age. However, the Misfits could not find a label that was interested in putting out their record. <laughs> uh, I would say it probably had something to do with Danzig probably showing up to meetings with wolves maybe on a chain and Jerry only <laughs> just pitching a fit because there was no gabagool at the meeting. Uh, so Static Age was not released in full until 96 uh, after the band had already established themselves as the legends that we know them today. But that that recording was used, just not in its total uh, intended album form. So what right. it did was it provided us with a steady trickle of misfit singles over the next couple of years, and many of them are the band's most classic songs. The Bullet single was released in June of 1978, and it features the tracks Bullet, We Are 138, Attitude, and Hollywood Babylon. All bangers, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I those are say. great. Of the early Misfits, those are some pretty good songs. So, of course, we talked about the song Bullet, and uh, it's got a pretty sexually explicit take on the JFK assassination. That's a way to put it. <laughs> you know, so, check it, suck that well, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's it's aggressively sexual like it's it's unco- like you kind of listen you're like why i never understood what it was about though i've read the lyrics it's like jfk gets his head blown off and uh, jackie onassis is giving him a blowjob uh, no i don't think it's i don't think it's that i'm pretty sure it's jackie onassis just licking the semen off his hands after he jerks off <laughs> the fuck um, so then, of course, we are 138, the the chant that it was reportedly, and I didn't know this. I, this is something I did not know. It was reportedly inspired by George Lucas's dystopian movie, THX 1138. Yeah, but I think the issue is that anytime you ask them what 138 is, they're like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, they won't tell you. Yeah. Like, they, like they'll, they'll, they'll be like, oh, what is the, what does the 138 mean? Uh, like, and they just, like, le- they leave. Like, or they sick their wolves on you. Yeah, yeah. Attitude uh, is basically a song where Danzig just tells everyone to get out of his way. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, isn't that the song? It doesn't um, Guns N' Roses cover that? Yeah, they did on the Spaghetti Incident. Yeah, it, They actually do a pretty good job of it. So, like, yeah. I hate Guns N' Roses, but that they do a pretty decent, okay, uh, a pretty okay job with that one. I kind of like Guns N' Roses. Mm, that's yeah. a different, that's a different conversation. <laughs> And then, of course, there's Hollywood Babylon, which shares this title with uh, the Kenneth Anger book of the same name. And it's all about that sordid Hollywood debauchery uh, that people are still getting up to at those Maria Abramovich parties. Um, Kenneth Anger, of course, being the uh, director of Scorpio Rising and Lucifer Rising. He's tied in with Bobby Busalil, who was, you know, hanging out with Manson and ended up killing Gary Hinman and all that stuff. Very interesting to read up on those people. Um, So anyway. So this was about, after this first EP, this is where the band began to sort of musically, lyrically, and visually embrace the whole horror punk thing that they were kind of inventing. And uh, this is where you get that, the eye makeup, the uh, spooky skeleton shirts, and the devil lock. Now, Ah, the devil lock. The devil lock is, for those who don't know, the single most idiotic hairstyle in all of punk rock. It's like someone saw a mohawk <laughs> and decided, I can make this worse. <laughs> Jerry only came up with it. I'm sure he was just filled to the brim with medic gawked, and he's like, uh, "What if I did this? 
I, I, I'm assuming he dunked his head into a pot of sauce and he just ended up liking the way that it formed a spike in front of his face. So uh-huh. to do a devil lock, you take your gel, your Elmer's glue, whatever it is that you have at hand, and you have to have longer hair to do it. And you just push all your hair forward until it's hanging in your face. And then you sort of make it into a big spike that hangs down right, you know, in front of your nose. Right. (laughs) And a couple of my friends in high school did it. And they were always fucking walking into things as it throws off your depth perception. So my favorite thing about this is that Jerry only still does this. Yeah. But if you see pictures of Jerry only now, he is bald on top. He's got a horseshoe pattern bald pat. So he takes like the Hulk Hogan hair that he's got and he brings that up over his Dr. Phil bald head and still does a devil lock. It's sad. I don't know. It's sad. I guess. I don't know how to describe it. You see it and you're like, why dude? Like we know you're bald. Just shave it. If if anybody here does not has never seen a devil lock, go look one up. They're they're God, they're dumb. Yeah, go look it up. We'll wait. Well, I don't even think about running off down that road. It ain't gonna do you damn bit good. I can tell you that right now. What are you gonna do? Well, first, I'm gonna kill you. It ain't no fucking biggie. Of course, it's different for every individual. French coma, or Frenchy Frenchy coma, quit the Misfits in 1978 during a tour when they returned, and when they returned, Mr. Jim bowed out as well. So they lost Frankie Coma, and they lost Mr. Jim, and drums and guitar were taken over by Joey Poole, aka Joey Image, and Bobby Coffold, also known as Bobby Steele, respectfully. Bobby Steele would go on to form the band The Undead in New York City in 1980, long, uh, another long-running horror punk band in that scene. So, But it was with this lineup of Danzig, Only Steele, and Image they released the horror business single in 1979. Now, the 7-inch contained three songs recorded for Static Age. They had Horror Business, Teenagers from Mars, and Children in Heat. Teenagers from Mars is, a, is actually a good song. I'll, I'll give you that. That one's fun. Yeah, I like that one. I, I like Horror Business better, though. That's one of my favorite Misfits songs. Yeah. Now, Horror Business, the song that you really like, uh, <laughs> is notable for not only being a great Misfits song, but it tells the story of a murder, the murder of Nancy Spungen at the hands of probably her boyfriend, Sid Vicious, incompetent junkie bass player of the UK punk band The Sex Pistols. So I like that uh, at a time where that was fairly fresh, <laughs> like that's fairly new. That was a new development. That wasn't that didn't happen very far off from when the song was written. Um, that 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 feels kind of petty. Yeah, I mean, it, there's imagery that definitely points to it being about that, and as you'll soon see, the connection between a member. <laughs> but uh, it, it's not explicitly about it, but everyone's just like, oh, yeah, that's about Sid and Nancy. Yeah, yeah, like, it's pretty, pretty clear. So, Vicious was out on bail awaiting trial in February of 1979, and a bunch of his friends, Jerry only included, gathered at Sid's Greenwich Village apartment to celebrate. And, of course, there was a night, that was the night that Sid OD'd on heroin, and Jerry was probably stuffing breadsticks in Sid's mouth to revive him. Now, <laughs> at the time, uh, the you story, hear your family? <laughs> the, the suspicion is that, this is going to sound awful, the suspicion is that, uh, you know, Sid had been clean off of heroin for a little bit um, while he was locked away, and his mom had a bag of heroin that 
that she gave him uh, in order to celebrate the fact that he was out and he overdosed <laughs> on like a normal amount of heroin that he would have taken. Uh, but because he had been clean for so long, the, the, the heroin that his mom killed him or the mom that his mom gave him killed him. He's fucking filthy Brits. <laughs> like awful, awful situation. So, so, so bad. Go but, eat your kippers. Um, go shoot your heroin. Get, get out of but, my face. But the bright side is we don't get any more Sid Vicious solo albums. Yeah. So if you ever get a chance to listen to that, oof. So uh, interestingly, the Misfits were rumored to be the the planned backing band on Sid's solo record, Sid Sings. And as it stands, that didn't happen, obviously. But Jerry only remained friends with Sid's mother, oddly enough. And from what I understand, uh, for until, as far as I know, to current day, if she's still alive, they're still friends. So yeah. uh, weird stuff. I, I don't know weird. anything about Sid's mom, um, Miss, Miss Vicious. So... <laughs> This is vicious. Can Sid come out and play? <laughs> Get uh, the fuck out of here! Can we <laughs> fucking bollocks? So, um, also, Mrs. Vicious is one of my favorite nicknames ever. Now, so, <laughs> oh, I'm vicious, vicious. If there's any, if there's a listener out there who's good with doodling, please draw or get Riley to do it. Draw like <laughs> a fucking draw a just a, a a bankrupt, broken old British woman with like a mohawk and and call her Mrs. Vicious. We should put it on a t shirt. <laughs> Absolutely, we're on it. We're working on it. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oi, so stupid, oi, I know. <laughs> oh God, damn it! All right, so. <laughs> The horror business single, single was also notable for being the first time the Misfits' skull, more correctly known as the Crimson Ghost, appeared on the band's artwork. The Crimson Ghost was taken from the poster of the of a 1946 film serial of the same name. Uh, and, and if you've seen, you've probably you don't even know this is the Misfits or this is the logo or or any of you, you might not know it, but you've probably seen the skull. Now the Crimson yeah. Ghost is synonymous with the Misfits. It, it seems that having the logo, the brand, like the marketing stuff, uh, it earned them enough fans for Danzig to actually start what's called the Fiend Club. Uh, and it was a Misfits fan club. Now, members of the club received shirts, records, news updates, and answers to their fan mail. And Danzig probably also sent them Legos to step on because he was a miserable asshole. So, now, important to note here as we talk about this, uh, one of the really interesting things about this time was Danzig was the one that was managing the Fiend Club. He was shipping out all the stuff. He was putting, he was putting together all the content. But Danzig didn't have a job. While he was putting all this stuff together, like his only job was to be in the Misfits while Jerry only was working in his dad's like exacto knife factory, I think. Yeah, I think it's something like that. It's something weird like that. And so so Jerry only would like work a full factory day's worth of work and then come home and Danzig would be like, fucking do this. Pack it. Pack it. And like so there's obviously going to be some tensions uh, after you work like a 12 hour shift stuffing sharp things in the boxes and then having to stuff your records into other boxes. Yeah. Very, very weird dynamic. Yeah. So in June of 1979, the Misfits opened for The Damned, a uh, big English punk band. They were started in 1976. They eventually morphed into a bit of a more goth rock act. Um, yeah. Now, Jerry Only was talking to damned lead singer Dave Vanian, and he discussed the Misfits opening for the Damned uh, on a UK tour. Now, even though Dave Vanian did not explicitly say, yes, this is the tour, 
come open for us. Jerry only still had the band fly out to the UK for the tour, just assuming they were on it. They weren't. They weren't. Now, uh, the story is also, too, that when Only was talking to Dave Vanian about it, Dave Vanian was very, very drunk and agree- and might have agreed to it while he was drunk and had no recollection recollection of having the conversation with him. And Jerry Only is like, that's a, that's a Jersey promise. <laughs> what do you mean we ain't on tour? We talked about it. That means it's real. I was thinking about calzones, and then, wouldn't you know it, there was a calzone. God, this dude is a goon. So, (laughs) on the Misfits Central website, which I encourage everybody to go take a look at, it's like an archive of Misfits history. It's awesome. There is an archive of interviews from the entirety of the band's career. So, I read through a bunch of them, and they are in very small font. (laughs) Very small. But a 1979 interview with Slash Magazine, I don't know, uh, sums up this entire situation like this. It, it was before it happened, but it was sort of a harbinger. <laughs> so Slash Magazine said, what big exciting tours are you going to do? And Jerry only said, might go to England with the damned. And Slash Magazine <laughs> said, did they ask you to tour with them? And Jerry only was like, yeah, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> he literally asked the question. In the fucking interview. <laughs> and you can tell Slash is like, did they ask you to tour with them? <laughs> right, because like, keep in mind, like the Misfits are not like they're not big huge. at all. They're not huge. And the Damned has, have already put out two records that have both made UK chart-topping hits. Like They put out the, the their self-titled record and then uh, the one after it, which I can't remember what it's called. But they both were like hit records, so they were really popular in England. Yeah, and the Misfits were not at that level. Now, of course, tables have turned years later, but yeah, at the time. So this ill-fated decision led the band to the UK in November. And ge- the geniuses that they were, they had not booked return flights until December. So they had a month to kill. <laughs> so Joey Image quit the fucking band and went home. Right. Or I believe he just went home and they were like, oh, yeah, I guess Joey quit. So <laughs> Jerry only went and hung out with Sid Vicious's mom. Very Mrs. strange. Vicious. <laughs> this is Vicious. <laughs> and Danzig and uh, Bobby Steele, they got arrested outside of a jam show after getting in a fight with some skinheads. And yeah. they spent 48 hours in jail. And that inspired the uh, Misfits tune London Dungeon. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so they when they got to England, the damned felt bad for them, and they did play one show. Yeah, I think it was like one or two shows, and then the band, I think even these <laughs> fucking roided-out guides were just like, all right, this is a little weird. <laughs> they just, they're pitying us. I feel real uncomfortable. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, despite flying across the ocean for absolutely nothing, The band was continuing to release their Static Age material, and before this whole horrible trip, they had just released the Night of the Living Dead EP, which features the title track, uh, which is a good one, uh, Where Eagles Dare, one of my favorite Misfits tunes. Oh, I've seen a couple bands cover it. It's always fun. Yeah. I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. And also the song Ratfink. Now, I just accidentally referred to it as an EP. It wasn't an EP. It was a single. There's only three, uh, three songs on it. But uh, this single was released on Halloween of 1979 on Plan 9. 
Now, Rat Fink is an interesting one. It's not a very popular Misfits song, and I didn't realize that it was a cover of a 1963 joke song called Rag Mop by a comedian named Alan Sherman. I don't know him, but I, I remember one of his songs, I didn't know it was him, from the Dr. Demento show, uh, the song Hello Mudda, Hello Fada, Ugh. which I don't know if you know that. Uh, I'm not going to go into what the fuck Dr. Demento is or was. Just use yeah. Google. It's weird. It's just yeah. weird comedy music that predates Weird Al. So. Yeah, it's a it's a whole it's a um it's a time capsule. Yeah. Um, and it's what's weird is I, I guess well Rat Fink has the chorus who's like Fink Fink Fink. So I don't know if Rag Mop is just Mop Mop. mop. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I don't know. Not not one of the Misfits best, but Night of Living Dead and Weird Eagles Dare two classic cuts. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, it's just like an interesting, like weird little glimpse into history and kind of like where they were thinking, like they would pull inspiration from. So, like, I think guess maybe that's part of it is like this is the place that they got like some kind of like they 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 heard that song and they're like, this is good enough to cover. Yeah, that's, that's what it blows my mind. Yeah, it's. The whole thing. So when when the dummies got home, they released the Beware EP in January of 1980, and it was a combination of the Bullet and Horror Business singles and their B-sides, except Children in Heat was switched out for the previously unreleased Last Caress. Now, Last Caress is, of course, one of the more controversial Misfits songs proclaiming, I got something to say, I raped your mother today. Uh, but it's a fun song. The other day we were at my parents' house and we were talking with like, cause my mom wanted to do Halloween karaoke. And I said, we should do last caress. But then we were, there were kids in the house. So we decided <laughs> to edit, edit it. And was like, I got something to say. I held a baby today. <laughs> yeah. Cause he, how, also, he also says I killed your baby today and I raped your mother today. So that's, that's, a good yeah, one. yeah. It's a little aggressive. So, <laughs> Uh, the spooky dum-dums after that, they decided to take a, a bit of a hiatus uh, and, and did some member switching. So Arthur McGuckin, a.k.a. Arthur Googie, uh, took Jimmy Joey Image's place behind the drum kit, and the band began grooming Jerry Only's younger brother, Paul, who was referred to as Doyle, to take Bobby Steele's place. Now, Doyle is a bit of a goon, and teaching him guitar must have been so frustrating. <laughs> Doyle, just move your fingers. I can't, Jerry. I need sauce. <laughs> I need the gravy. I don't know how this guy had time to learn how to play guitar, given how many weights he lifts. Doyle is huge. They, like, he looks like a Frankenstein's monster that is they, on steroids. They built him. <laughs> they they built him in an alley in New Jersey. Like they're like, ah, we'll take a little bit of this this uh, garbage here. Ah, and there's a stray cat. All right, where's the lightning? Get the car battery. And that's how they brought him to life. So, oh god, yeah. Look up a picture of Doyle. Anyone who's unfamiliar with the Misfits, if you want a good visual, because he is a monster of a person. He really is. Like he. <laughs> I could see him like bending rebar without even thinking <laughs> yeah. like just, just bending. It's like, nah, okay. So in August, 1980, the band entered the studio and recorded 12 songs, three of which were released in April of 81 as three hits from hell. They recorded London dungeon horror hotel and ghouls night out. And so uh, for the remainder of 81, the band was in the studio recording what would become their first official LP walk among us. And in October, they released two more songs from the August 1980 sessions. They released Halloween and Halloween 2, uh, the more creatively titled song. 
Now, <clears throat> those were both on the Halloween signal single and, and notable for being the first artwork to feature the Misfits' traditional text logo. So the font was borrowed from the movie magazine Famous Monsters of Filmland. So you start seeing kind of their their marketing and imaging uh, come together in in. Keep in mind, this is three years into the band, so now they're really figuring out what they look like and how they're pushing out their their style. Yeah, I mean, you know, all missteps aside, the band, I, I, I feel like they really knew what they wanted or they got very lucky. But the imagery they used, I mean, when you talk classic, I mean, the Black Flag Bars, the Crimson Ghost. I can't think of another punk logo. I mean, I guess the Crossbuster, Bad Religion, yeah. but... That's, I mean, the, the Misfit Skull is so universal, man. It's it's just crazy. Yeah, like, to the, to the degree that, like, uh, at one point in time, Riley was really into, like, uh, shirts from Hot Topic. Like, she really liked Paramore, so she bought a Paramore shirt, and then she bought the Crimson Skull shirt, and she didn't know what it was, but it was the Crimson Skull that was filled with, like, flowers. It's a white T-shirt, and the Crimson <laughs> Skull was made of, like, flowers, and she really liked the style. She's like, I like the skull, and I'm like, do you know what this is? She's like, no. <laughs> Dude, but it doesn't I've, matter because it's like it's a brand now. It's not even like a band. Yeah. It's a brand. That's true. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, I've owned many a Misfits shirt. A mis- I've owned Misfits hats uh, back when I would wear hats. Yeah, I've, I've owned a lot of Misfits swag, and I'm about to order another shirt from T Public that is a combination of Arthur E. Newman uh, from Mad Magazine and uh-huh. the Crimson Ghost. Nice, nice, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so finally, in 1982. After all these singles trickled out from the album that they weren't able to use in full, the Misfits released their first proper full-length called Walk Among Us through Ruby and Slash Records. Now, I would argue it's a classic, uh, and it was probably many people's first introduction to the band um, because it was their first wide release of a decent length. I mean, you know, I, I got my hands on American Psycho, which is a different era of the band, but the first Danzig stuff I ever heard was Walk Among Us a couple years later when one of my friends bought it. Yeah. Now, some of the more notable tracks include 20 Eyes. That's a great... <laughs> 20 Eyes in my heels. <laughs> <laughs> it's so... It's great. Uh, I Turned Into a Martian... I've seen many a band cover that. I remember way yeah. back in the day, the Male Factors from Orlando used to cover it. It was probably the first time I knew a cover at a punk rock show in like 98, and I, I yeah. lost my mind. Um, All Hell Breaks Loose, Skulls, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> your first song that you ever played with a band. Uh, also, the Lemonheads do a pretty good cover of it. I didn't know they did that. That's cool. Yeah, it's a weird little like uh, like a weird little acoustic version of it. It's pretty. It's actually pretty good. I mean, the Lemonheads are a lot of fun, but I want your Skulls. I need, I your, need skulls. your skulls. <laughs> I don't just want them. <laughs> I need them. I need them. Um, and then Astro Zombies, which um, Dr. Evil, local legends, definitely more than a little Misfits influence they took. Um, they used to cover it and they recorded it on uh, Better Living Through Mutation. It was great. It was a great yeah. cover and a great song. Um, there's a few tracks on Walk Among Us that I aren't bad, but they're just not great. They're kind of duds, like Devil's Whorehouse. Yeah. Um, there's one live song right in the middle of the record, which I don't know why. Yeah, they end it's up re- weird. Yeah, they would end up recording it uh, in the studio, I believe, later, or using a recording of it later. But it's called Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight? And it's a great song, um, but it's right in the middle of the track listing, and it's live. And as the song fades out, you hear them starting London Dungeon, and then it cuts off. <laughs> Yeah, it's really weird. Like, it's not, it's not, um, I don't, like, it's one of those things where they need somebody to consult. Like, can you put this at the end of the, 
into yeah. the album like as like a bonus track but it's just right it's literally like out of 13 tracks it's number seven yeah and it kind of makes walk among us sound like it's a compilation and walk among us is not a compilation it's a proper lp they just yeah. th- threw a fucking live song in it um now still the misfits are now kind of poised for success you know they're 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 getting well known they're playing out they're touring they have all these releases under their belt and uh they just can't get along <laughs> so yeah after an argument in a McDonald's, which, to quote the Bouncing Souls, is so Jersey, uh, <laughs> Danzig kicked Arthur Googie out of the band. Now, in an interview from 1981 with the punk zine Touch and Go, you can kind of tell the tension between Googie, who's a bit of a pothead, as his name might imply, yeah. and Danzig, who, guess what, is um, almost positive doesn't drink or smoke. Yeah, just creatine. Yeah. Um, and you can hear the tension and it's quite clear. So Googie in the middle of the interviewer, he asked the, uh, in the middle of the interview, he asked the interviewer for some weed and the interviewer is like, sorry, we don't smoke. And Danzig says, good. <laughs> <laughs> and then Googie says, oh yeah. Remember outside of club 57, I lit up a joint and they started saying reefer sucks and all this shit about 90 people from Washington. And then Glenn Danzig says to this. Good. They should have killed you. <laughs> I, I imagine if he sounds like Carl. Good. God. Cup. They should have killed you. Now, presumably <laughs> what he's talking about here, he mentioned Washington and people being like, oh, reefer sucks. I'm th- I'm assuming it's D.C. and they're they were playing in D.C. and, and D.C. is where you get the teen idols and straight edge and all that shit from. So insufferable people, to be sure. But I'm sure Googie was a pain in the ass. And so was Danzig. They all suck. Right. Like none of them are likable. That's that's the thing. This is the Tiger King of punk bands. Like there's nobody there's nobody here that likes that, that you can like. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so after Googie got the boot, our Erie Vaughn, who was a friend of the band, he was an occasional photographer and roadie, he was offered the drummer slot, but he'd already committed to the hardcore punk band Rosemary's Babies, which is a great name. Um, and he years later would eventually join Danzig, uh, Danzig solo backing band playing bass. Um, now Misfits buddy Henry Rollins, Hank Garfield, uh, <laughs> he is the <laughs> one who suggested that old Black Flag drummer Robo should drum for the Misfits, uh, and that ended up working out. Yeah, so in September of 1982, the Misfits left for tour again, and while they were out, recorded the instrumental tracks that would eventually become the final album of the original Misfits incarnation, Earth A.D. Now, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. so on the same tour, the band went looking for voodoo queen Marie Laveau's grave in New Orleans and were arrested for grave robbing, uh, which is, like, on brand. Yeah. Like yeah. that's that's that should have happened to this band, but but they were they bailed themselves out, skipped out on their court appearance, and headed to where else but Florida. So in December of 1982, they released a live album called Evil Live. Uh, it's evil backwards and forwards. Do you get it? Makes sense. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which was attributed to members of the Fiend Club. So like you'll see that they pay a lot of fan service. Uh, if, if anything, they're really good to the people that are that are loyal to them. Like as far as the the fans go, uh, yeah. at least until uh, at least until Project 1950 comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hi yo. So 
1983 would prove to be the final year of the original Misfits, so Danzig was growing increasingly frustrated with literally everything, but specifically the group, and and had already begun planning his next project, which would become Sawin, or Sam Hain. Uh, we know it's pronounced Sawin, uh, but Danzig probably gets itchy every time somebody doesn't say it right, so we're going to call it Sam Hain uh, for the duration of the rest of the, the show. Now, uh, before the band dissolved, they managed to finish the record they started recording in their during the summer of the, the 82 summer tour. Um, and this resulted in the band's final release at the time, Earth AD slash Wolf's Blood. Hell yeah. Which, I mean, it, you didn't need two titles. <laughs> I never understood why it had two because, I mean, it's two songs. I, I don't know. I think Wolf's Blood might start the B-side, but that's a fucking record, man. I love that one. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that it's probably like Jerry only wanted to call it Earth AD and Danzig wanted to call it Wolf's Blood, <laughs> and then they just couldn't agree, so they just they just kind of su- decided on that. But yeah. the, origi- the original re- release was nine songs long, clocked in at just under 15 minutes, and, and Earth AD was much less horror punk and just straight-up angry, fast, hardcore, uh, something the fans of Misfits hadn't yet heard from them, and, and, and at the time was actually pretty consistent with what the punk and hardcore scenes were looking like. So you had, like, the Dead Kennedys showing up. You had, I mean, because, like, by that time, you had Fresh Fruit uh, for Rotten Vegetables. You had the, the you had Minor Threat. You had Black Flag. You had all these bands that were, like, really influencing punk rock. Um, and so it makes sense that there was maybe a hardcore influence there. Um, it, you could see where that would come from. But maybe some fans of the more poppy Misfits probably weren't stoked. Um, the lyrics were darker and the vibe is much angrier. So as evidenced by tracks like Death Comes Ripping, which is so good. Um, yeah. Demonomania, which is the first time I heard that was an AFI cover. And Blood Feast. Um, yeah. this, to me, this sounds like uh, like a like a black metal record. Like, yeah, a bit, definitely. Yeah, it should be a metal Fucking, record or a thrash record. Um, I believe Watain covers Death Comes Ripping, I think. There is a black metal cover of it, which is totally awesome. It so, does rip. Yeah, it does rip. <laughs> so, uh... Without a doubt, the title track is one of the band's most recognizable and classic tunes. And so uh, the 1987 CD and cassette reissue of the album tacked on three more songs. You had Die, Die, My Darling, uh, We Bite, and the studio version of Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight, which should have been on the record before. Now, um, Earth AD was released in December of 1983, but alas, the Misfits couldn't keep it together. They just couldn't get enough skulls, and they broke up in October of 1983, two months before the record even dropped. So when this album came out, they weren't even a band. Now, the band's final show was on October 29th, and they had recruited Brian Damage of Verbal Abuse to drum, but he got shit-faced and couldn't make it through the set. Uh, the drummer uh, the drummer for Frequent Misfits openers, the Necros, a guy named Todd Swalla, just, there's so many names in this. Uh, Todd Swalla finished the set, and Danzig announced that it would be the last show between songs, then turned into a wolf, and ran into the, the into the forest. <laughs> and so ends the tale of the Misfits classic era, a time fraught with tension, fuck-ups, too many member changes, and a lot of complaining, courtesy of one Glenn Danzig. <laughs> so just to hammer home the point that we're making here, the Misfits are classic. Danzig's a great musician. He's a great vocalist. But everyone involved seems like a fucking idiot or an asshole. Now... Just to sort of underscore that, here's some lines from a post-Misfits breakup interview with Danzig. Now, I know I've been doing the uh, voice for all of them, but I'm going to read Danzig's lines in the voice that he sounds like in my head. 
Have you found any musicians from? Have you found that any musicians from other bands that you've been friends with over the years have totally changed their attitudes in a more positive or negative way? And if so, who? Yes, too many to name. For the most part, they have become total assholes. I hate most people. <laughs> Do you ever read Fangoria magazine? I used to, but it pretty much sucks nowadays. What is the significance of the number one eight or one thirty eight in the song "We Are One Thirty Eight? Figure it out yourself. It would seem that with both Sam Hain and Plan 9 Records to be constantly kept up with, that you would have very little time to yourself. What do you do most? What do you most enjoy during your spare time? What spare time? Are you still in contact with Robo Jerry or Doyle? No. Do you run Plan 9 Records by yourself? No. <laughs> He's all these interviews. He is such a fucking dickhead. I yeah. don't like Danzig as a person. I really hate him. Um, but, you know, what, what are you going to do? Wrote some great songs. You know, it's funny to think about that, like, uh, especially if that's his voice. Like, no, I don't like it. And then he's like, oh, oh, oh. yeah. Like, he's a crooner. Like, that's the best part is, like, he's a crooner, but, like, he's probably – he's just shitty everywhere else. Like, yeah. he's got, like he, – he, he comes from the era where it's, like, people like Elvis were his influence, and then he's just such a – I guess maybe he took that attitude too, because Elvis was kind of a dick. Yeah, he stole. He stole, he stole all that music anyway. So yeah, fuck him. Um, so <laughs> join us next week as we talk uh, this miserable jack off side projects and the resurrection of the Misfits themselves. We're so excited. I'm excited because I love the second era of the Misfits. I mean, it's it's catchy. So you know, I was laughing because uh, we'll probably talk about Legacy of Brutality on the next one, but yeah. um. On Spotify, it's also listed as Glenn Danzig and not just the Misfits. So wait, Legacy Brutality is under Danzig's name? No, it's he's cited on every song on it except for <laughs> Halloween and American Nightmare, and and I'll and I'll explain why when we talk about it next okay. week. If we don't have anything else, let's go ahead and shout out the Patreons. Patreon, Patreon, Michael Osborne, Sam Paul, Laura Crosby, Katie, yeah! Amelia Andrews. Matthew Fisher. Go, go, go! <laughs> Jesse Crane and Mario Cipriano. Thank you all. Like, it's like um, if you watch Bill and Grace when Jack makes fun of, like, tries to sing, like, Cher. Like, he does that. He goes, meow. Like, that's exactly what you do. Like, you can't finish the word. So. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Seriously, this this what this is uh, this is gonna be a fun series. So, um, I don't think that we have any announcements. Nope, working on the zine, working on some some writing to be available hopefully by the end of the year. But uh, zine's coming soon. I, I wrote some funny stuff for it. I thought cool. About, yeah, <laughs> almost getting into a fight uh, when I saw Peter Jackson's King Kong because the people behind me refused to suspend their disbelief. They'd <laughs> be so mad. If that's it, then uh, if you want to find us on on social media, we are on Instagram at I don't want to hear a podcast. We are on Twitter at IDWHI podcast. We are on Facebook at I don't want to hear a podcast. You can email us at oldpunksvstheworld at gmail.com. dot um, com. <clears throat> you can also check us out on our uh, publishing company's website at wndpress.com. You can shoot us an email over at wndpress.com if you're interested in publishing uh, or working out some stuff. We have uh, published a few books so far, which are cool, and they. 
seem to be doing well. We've got some announcements coming up for some new books coming up in the future. Uh, and finally, if you want to support the podcast, um, you can become a Patreon member. So uh, basically, if you are a Patreon member, you get a shout out on the show. We got stickers for you. Uh, you get to pick and explain this band, which is a lot of fun. Um, you will also get a hard copy of our zine for free. Um, and you get to, depending on what level you're at, you get to pick an episode topic, which is a lot of fun. So that's all I've got. Yep, and if you head over to our website, I don't want to hear a podcast.com, click the link it came from the beach to do a deep dive into all of our old bands. There's music, there's pictures, there's videos and all kinds of stuff. And of course, check the episode notes for any links, stuff that we talked about. There's also links to some of our better bands, Spotify pages. Um, like I said, I'm working on a new zine, and uh, hopefully we can get uh, both of them readily available. And I am uh, putting... Some finishing touches on my next book, uh, Young Till I'm Old, The Memoirs of a Punk Rock Nobody. I'm hoping to have it available by the end of the year. I know there was a little bit of hiccups with my first uh, my first publication, but uh, hopefully the second one we will will be a little more widely available. And and we're working out the we're still working out the bugs for the for the other for the other book too. So it'll be cool. Yeah. So we'll probably do a re-release for that. Yeah, yeah, I might do like a like a a deal on them both. I mean, you know. I just, yeah. want you, I just want you guys to read it and laugh. So yeah. um, that is going to do it for us this week, and we will be back next week to conclude the spooky month uh, with uh, part two of Misfits. So until then, annihilate this week. And good night, Arthur Googie, wherever you are. <laughs> He's probably trying to buy weed from another interviewer. Yeah.